to Alaska's Political Pipeline. We're bringing back the Alaska's Political Pipeline podcast. And I'm David Bernkoff, and I'm a producer here at Alaska's News Source. But with me is someone who really knows politics in Alaska, our anchor and assistant news director, Rebecca Palsha. Welcome. Thank you. I have produced national politics for CNN and for a show in Washington, but I've never been in Alaska producing politics, and it seems a lot different here. The national issues that think tanks and political types want to talk about in the lower 48 don't seem to resonate quite as much here. Here, it seems like people really want to talk about the Alaska issues that they live every day. Oh, absolutely. I think we're like super focused on ourselves and the impacts of politics on the state and everything else is just, you know, outside with a capital O. So people in the lower 48 seem to get a chuckle out of how important <laughs> salmon fishing was oh my gosh. to this campaign. Right? Fishing is like one of the hottest button issues you can talk about in Alaska between subsistence and commercial and sport fishing and personal use. It's just, it's a hotbed of controversy. So we have a new congresswoman, first time ever an Alaska native, mm -hmm. Mary Peltola. And she ran on an issue that she can protect the fisheries better than others. And it struck me that if John Fetterman in Pennsylvania runs on an issue of protecting the steel industry, people don't find that funny. Mm -hmm. But they do somehow find the, um, the idea of fish funny. I don't know. But not up here at all. No, no. That's one of our stools of commerce here that keeps the state running. So what are the other issues in the national election, the Senate and congressional races, that really seem to resonate in this first round or sec first rounds of the election? You know, I think, um, I think the fishing does matter. I think it also matters that uh, Mary is the first Alaska native, and I think that's super a point of pride for people and important in the state. You know, this is, I think, the first time someone from Hawaii and Alaska has been represented in Congress. So she has won, uh, some people call it a complicated ranked voting system, mm -hmm. but it involved multiple rounds. But she's the winner for like four months. Uh -huh. And then we're going to do this all over again. And it's the same cast of characters again. Nobody dropped out from the top three, actually from the top four. Mm -hmm. Does that surprise you that that Sarah Palin and Nick Begich, they couldn't figure out which one of them would? <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I find that super fascinating. And I also think of, like, what a odd position for Peltola to be in because you're working, essentially, and creating a record, and at the same time you're running a campaign, which is a second job. And so this is you know, across the country, what an intense thing to do to have a job and a job, you know, and then I think of... And that quickly. And that quickly. And that, you know, it's not a quick, it's, you can't just pop in here and campaign for a little bit. It's like a, you know, an it, ordeal. Um, and I think of Palin and Baggage, and I just don't see them giving ground. And them going after each other is, it's interesting to watch. And so because the system is the same again, mm -hmm. we can have exactly the same outcome where the two main Republican candidates get more votes 
than the Democratic candidate, but the Democratic candidate wins again. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting was the number of people who did not have a second choice on this first round. So those people, maybe they kind of get how this process works now. So how do they change their vote? Do they now put either Palin or Begich in because the first time they just picked one person? Do they change their, you know, their voting habits? And, and how much will that influence these next round of numbers? I saw that the Republicans are running something they call Rank the Red, mm -hmm. which is an effort to deal with exactly that problem you mentioned, that something like 20-something percent mm -hmm. of Begich's voters didn't even make a second selection. That's the difference. Assuming that those voters would ever vote for Sarah Palin, and that's an issue also, isn't it? It absolutely is. I think Palin has a dramatic history with Alaska. You know, um, I remember when she was governor, I covered special sessions in Juneau, and she was intensely popular. And so kind of seeing people's reaction to her now and back then, it's just night and day, just absolutely night and day. I remember being in the session and uh, trying to find a lawmaker who disagreed with Palin. There was one. And every day you'd talk to that one lawmaker because he was the dissenting voice. And now you bring up Palin and you're going to get all kinds of opinions. So that's another interesting thing that people outside of Alaska would probably be surprised at and not surprised at if you're from Alaska is that she was super popular. Mm -hmm. And then for reasons that I'm not sure are ever that clear, she's le she left the state, mm -hmm. left her job as governor, and now is trying to make an argument that you shouldn't hold that against her. But that's a hard argument to make, isn't it? It is a hard argument to make, and especially when you're looking for, like, kind of one-liners for a campaign, it seems easy to kind of ding you. I know in talking with her, she feels like she had to because she was such a distraction that work was not getting done. So she sees it as, you know, she has, she did the right decision, where everyone else sees it as, well, you quit. So she may or may not, we'll find out in ranked voting round number two, but she may top out at 40%. There may just be no way for her to do better, and so 41% beats her. Yeah. Th that's interesting. And the argument being made that somehow ranked voting uh, makes Republicans at a disadvantage, or at least Republicans like her, but that was something that was voted on here in Alaska. That was not, like, imposed by anybody, No, right? we, chose, we chose that. We chose to have this system. And there's no indication that's going to change anytime soon. No. We have that system now for We a have while. that system. I think, I think people are still very confused by it, and I think um, it, it doesn't make it less confusing that we have the special election and then a regular election. I think that adds to some of the confusion. Um, but it is fascinating of, of, like, how is this going to play out? And as people learn the system, how do they work the system? There's definitely a strategy in ranked voting that is different mm -hmm. from if it's just two people running against each other. you that, And that's the design of it. The system is designed to make people play more to the center mm -hmm. on the theory that that's a better thing. Now, one could argue that's not a better thing, and that's clearly what Sarah Palin is arguing now, that that was not a good thing because it makes it harder for a far-right person or a, a more... Um, a less centr centrist person to win an election. And 
voters can decide whether that's good or bad, but that is by design. Mm -hmm. Now, we are going to have, I suspect, and we're already seeing it, a lot of money flow in <laughs> to this state for the next couple of months mm -hmm. as we do that election again. Uh, I think you may, may have mentioned in a conversation that the Palin campaign didn't buy any TV the last time around, or almost none? Almost none. I've, I did hear radio ads. Um, I was at Palin's headquarters the night of the special election, and uh, they were talking about now spending some money. So I, you know... Because I'm in news, I don't know actually how much money, and I don't ask it how much. We're supposed to stay away from those questions. <laughs> but uh, but it will be curious to see what the airwaves are filled with. I know, you know, it's fascinating, and the amount of money is insane. Uh, Congresswoman Peltola was actually in the station about a week ago, and mm -hmm. I cornered her and asked her about what I found to be an interesting strategic decision, which is a big TV by on the issue of abortion, mm -hmm. where she's talking about how she's going to stand up for abortion rights and against the government being involved in your personal decisions. Abortion has traditionally been less of an issue here than a lot of other states, hasn't it? Because it's a pretty libertarian state. It has pretty libertarian laws on abortion. Yeah, I think, I think where we stand oftentimes is don't tell me what to do, um, and it's my personal decision, but we are... Um, a conservative state. And so, and in my time here, I have seen it become, take on more of those hot button issues like abortion and, you know, um, climate change, things like that kind of national issues. And they are now influencing, it seems like our voting records, but, you know, we very much like government to stay out of our lives. So that's why I asked her why she was running a national abortion ad, which, I mean, She's not talking about something that's going to happen in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And her answer was, well, you need people like me because Congress is going to try to take away abortion rights from Washington and mm -hmm. not leave it up to the states. And it turns out, just recently, Senator Lindsey Graham introduced a bill that sort of backs up that point. So I don't know, do you think that works as an issue here or is that something that people here have just sort of... You know, it's leave me alone, and, and I don't care about it. <laughs> that one's complex, and and I'm I'm torn about how that will impact things. I think when um, Al Gross ran for Senate, he had a he was big on abortion rights, and that didn't really resonate with people. Um, I'm curious to see. You know, Democrats never kind of thought nationally that they could have this seat, and I think now it's seen as like a real viable thing that could happen. And how much does it impact people that? Mary Peltola is a woman, or does that play into this at all? Because um, it didn't And has a huge Al family. I mean, and, a yeah. big family, which is in her ads and mm -hmm. in, her, uh, in her publicity photos. So that, she's clearly not making a point that I don't like families or I don't oh, like kids. She, it's no, quite absolutely. the opposite. Like she and Palin have bonded over that. They talk quite frequently about children, and they both come from large families and large Alaska families. And, um, you know when you follow both their social media, family and children, children in particular, are of the utmost importance for, for both of these women. And they, you know, it kind of is what things that really bonds them to each other. That's interesting. To, to be fair, there is a fourth candidate in this mm -hmm. still. His name is Chris Bai. He's running as a libertarian. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about him. He doesn't. He got about 1,000 votes the first time around. 
I mentioned his name just to be fair, but he's not going to play at all in this, is he? Not with a thousand votes. And even, you know, right now we're planning our debate coverage and uh, it doesn't seem like it's viable or, or to even have him at those. He's not reaching the threshold He's not reaching of the viability. Threshold. Yeah. There's, I mean, there, right. it's a job application to get one of these positions and you have to do a certain amount of work. I mean, I saw him at the debate. I think we were both at that mm-hmm. debate a couple of weeks ago, which was interesting because I found it so strange that they literally... The candidates are debating each other, and then they were rushing out <laughs> to find out who won the election. And I was thinking, why are we even having a debate? But I, I had forgotten how quickly the next thing comes. And it's going to be intense here, not just for that race, but the Senate race, I think, is pretty intense. And mm-hmm. we can talk about that more maybe in the next episode. But I don't know, has Alaska had this kind of closely contested two races ever before? You mean two races like the Senate and and Congress? You know, we always have super dramatic elections, I think. You know, when Begich beat Senator Stevens, that was an incredible amount of money that poured into the state and time and work for both of those candidates. That was a big deal. Um, You know, Murkowski, when she had her writing campaign, that was... That was just fascinating to witness because it historically has not, I think it happened what was like once before. Um, and then she has a complex last name and getting people to spell it correctly. And then there was an alternative campaign to get people to spell it incorrectly. And, you know. So if they misspelled her name by one letter, the I can't vote remember, wouldn't count? I can't or? remember how it was. I think it was intent. But what is intent? Uh, right. You know. We're back to hanging chats yeah. now. And, and I remember her whole campaign of mer cow ski like with the shirt that had a cow and a skis on it you know all right well that's clever if it works and silly (laughs) if it doesn't work but it worked right one more thing that is curious about to me about alaska and i apologize if anyone listening to this finds my curiosity to be silly but in the lower 48 in races like this congressional race particularly but also the senate race you would have national Democrats and Republicans rushing to stand by the candidates. People who had some uh, following, you know, maybe Ted Cruz or, uh, or Donald Trump or, you know, some Democratic person, maybe even Biden would go or Obama would come for certain candidates if they thought it was an important and close race. But it's my sense is it's a little different here. Maybe Trump would come back again, but... National figures play up here at all? You know, I find the candidates do bring them. Um, they're not heavy hitters all the time like Donald Trump, but they'd be cabinet members and people of importance, and they usually all would come in the summertime, <laughs> conveniently. Um, but I think, you know, the who the, the Trump voter is that a Sarah Palin voter all the time? Who knows, you know? And his, his being here was a big deal, and I think, um, you know, when Obama came here... It was a big deal, and, you know, it's just a lot of work to get here. I think from the campaign standpoint, it's fascinating when you see these camp- most of these campaigns, because traditionally what happens is you start very local, and you have your local press person and your local volunteers and, you know, mom and pops, and then they become professional. And you can, and someone sent in who's, you know, usually like a young staffer who they're making their way and making their career and trying to win elections, and their influence is on the race. I always think it sours people a bit 
you know, because the attitude is different. And we historically are very much people who are like, you are with us or you are not of us. Um, and it takes a many, if you're not. That's why I apologize because yeah. <laughs> I clearly am not of you yet. <laughs> and that takes years and years and years. <laughs> If I stay here for 10 years, maybe I'll be of you. It's interesting to me that Peltola is definitely running a campaign straight to the middle. Mm -hmm. She is running almost as an independent in a way. She cleaves as closely as she can to the late congressman she has mm -hmm. replaced. She talks about Second Amendment rights. She talks about family. talks about keeping government out of your life. Is that a fair place for her to run considering her previous politics? Is that how she's always been? I think she's always been liked. I think um, so far it seems like a smart campaign, you know, to she doesn't, you know, we haven't seen her badmouth anybody or make some jabs or even subtle jabs at people. She has hired people, longtime staffers from Young's office. Um, I think that is interesting, you know, and it shows some consistency. And I know young staffers have been appreciative that I've, I've seen that on Twitter of them saying, oh, this person's here again, you know, this is great, and taking pictures with her. And these were Republican staffers, and now they're posing with pictures with a Democrat, you know. So I, I think there is some symbolism, and she, you know, again, we are not purely a Democratic or Republican state. We do value gun rights and family, and that can be a Democrat. It doesn't, you know, it's not the stereotype of like, oh, that's only Republicans who care about gun rights. You know, Democrats very much care about them. You know, lots of them very much care about gun rights because of hunting and subsistence. And and President Trump, now ex-President Trump, did not win Alaska by 20 points. This isn't Idaho or Wyoming. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's not a purple state, but it's not as bright red as maybe people have thought traditionally. Yeah. So we will keep doing these podcasts, <laughs> assuming people like them. Uh, we do want your feedback, so let us know what you think. And uh, we'll have, next time, I think we'll look at the other two big races, governor and Senate. Uh, the Senate won probably a little closer. Oh, that one's fascinating. That's going to uh, be a good one. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> and, uh, they debated recently and really argued over very fundamental attitudes about what a senator should even do. So... I guess there's no love lost there between the two of them, but we'll save that. <laughs> so thanks for listening, and uh, let us know what you think, and hopefully we'll make this a regular thing. Bye.